0: Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. As the ushers are going around, my sermon title for this morning is Conquering and to Conquer. And this is taken out of Revelation chapter 6. If you want to turn there, Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. So we're going to be discussing a the um, different, really, one of the views of uh, the end times. Um, I hold to maybe a different perspective than many of you have heard before. Um, there are basically three valid biblical um, categories uh, in, in which you could hold to: um, premillennial eschatology, a amillennial eschatology, and a Postmillennial millennial eschatology. This comes from it's unfortunate that the words for the eschatology uh, the eschatological views come from a chapter in Revelation that's really hard to translate and a word that is used once is what we base all of our eschatology off of <laughs> the millennium. It's only mentioned one time. Um, but truthfully eschatology is really the study of the Story of God and how it culminates at the end. So, really, eschatology, if it's biblical, should be traced from Genesis to Revelation. Um, And so, there's those three, um, and probably a majority of us. I know I grew up in a premillennial context. Um, I hold to a postmillennial eschatology, Um, and I'll try to flesh that out a little bit for you, um, so that you have a uh, a grid for what that really means. And I, me and Andrew, were talking about this before. Is (laughs) We spend hours studying, and sometimes we just throw stuff on you, (laughs) expecting you to just get it, and we've been studying this for years, (laughs) you know. Um, And so I I really want to take you by the hand. I don't want to leave anyone behind. And I want to show you that there is hope for the future because Christ has conquered. And he has conquered, and he's conquering now, and he will conquer. So Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And I looked... And behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, there are different views on who this is. Some people just throw this up to one of the four horsemen in the (laughs) book of Revelation. I believe this is Jesus. Um, And the reason why I come to that conclusion is because this rider is riding a white horse we know elsewhere in Revelation Jesus is riding a white horse. This rider receives a crown. Christ is the crowned conquering king. The thing that throws everyone off is that he has a bow in his hand instead of a sword. But that actually doesn't throw anything off because in Revelation 19 the sword is coming forth from his mouth. It's not in his hand. <laughs> the bow is actually if you trace it back I was like this is the, it was the part that I was stumbling over. Can this really be Jesus? But actually, if you look through the Old Testament, many, many, many times, Yahweh is depicted as holding a bow in his hand and slaying his enemies. So this is perfectly in alignment with Christ, the conquering king, who is not just man, but Yahweh. And so this is uh, my, I guess, apologetic for why I believe this is Jesus. Jesus. So I feel like the Lord has been really authoring faith to trust that he truly is king. Week after week, we've been singing about it. In the prayer room, we've been singing about it, praying into it. And whether we believe it or not, here, many of us believe here that he is conquering king. (laughs) Because the spirit (laughs) knows that he's conquering king. And so many of us live our life as if he has conquered Because he has. And sometimes we need our our mind to catch up with what has been deposited on our heart by the spirit. And so this may sound contrary to maybe particularly what you've been brought up in, and that's totally okay. Um, But the thing is that we have to wrap our mind around, and and I'm going to give a defense of the position that I hold to. Because I believe it. (laughs) And I believe if someone was to come up here and had a different view, and there are different views represented in our congregation, so I'm not trying to knock any other view. But if you were to believe something, I would hope that you would defend it. (laughs) So I'm going to defend my position today. And you hear it come out through everything because this this position of of eschatology, um, it really informs my Christian life. So every part of my Christian life is informed by the fact that Christ has conquered, that he's conquering now, and that he will conquer in the end. Um, And so this is how I live my life, as under the lordship of the one who sits on the throne right now, that we're not waiting for him to take a throne, that when he ascended, he took a throne, and that is the throne of David and the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. So these are the, the scriptures that I want to, to really run to you and, and to, for you to be able to be deposited in your heart. I want you to marvel at the majesty and the power and the dominion and the triumph of Christ in time, that we're not waiting for this to happen in the future. John Piper says the task of the pastor is to reestablish the dominion of God in the hearts of God's people. So I want to read just a few uh, people in church history that have held to the the view that I um, am advocating for. Uh, Basically, let me me quickly just so you have a better understanding. A premillennial view would be that the trajectory of time is pretty rocky. It's going to be kind of highs, kind of lows, um, but mostly the decline of time in time. Sin will increase brokenness will increase and then Christ will come and establish his kingdom um, and then we'll put all things right. An amillennial view is kind of that Jesus is reigning now and there's kind of, uh, there's evil that's happening but Christ comes in and matches it with glory and there's this kind of this pattern throughout history, the high and the low and the high and the low but there's no real like trajectory it continues and then Christ returns at some point to establish uh, or continue in the kingdom, um, as a postmillennialist, we would believe that Christ, at the ascension, took His throne, established the kingdom, and from now on He is conquering and putting every enemy under His feet. In Psalm one ten, it says that um, my Lord or the Lord said to my Lord, "Sit here until I make every enemy a footstool for Your feet." And so I believe that's the father speaking to the son saying, sit in this seat until your enemies are conquered. So that's why I believe he'll come after his enemies are conquered (laughs) because he's going to sit in that seat. (laughs) And how does he conquer? Through the church. And so this is this is how I uh, understand. and I've studied this for a very long time. And so this isn't just flippantly being put before you uh, this morning. But this would be uh, a position that's held by St. Athanasius in the third century. He wrote a very important document for the church on the incarnation. So this is from very early on. Um, Augustine held to more of an amillennial perspective. Um, but it's actually an optimistic amillennial perspective, which would be a little bit more in line with a postmillennial uh, view of the conquering of Christ in time. John Calvin uh, held to this. Isaac Watts, the uh, famous hymn writer in the uh, 1700s. The Wesley brothers, Jonathan Edwards, uh, were postmillennialists. William Carey, uh, basically the the starter of the modern missions movement, uh, was a postmillennialist. And they had this confidence knowing that what they were doing in their day was going to actually make a difference, that actually they were going to hand their children that which they fought for. Um, And so it gave them an extra confidence running in. William Carey went to Africa initially to do evangelism. And then he became a cartographer to map out Africa so that future generations would be able to come and find the villages. So he had a long view of history. So he said, I'm going to invest my time into mapping out this place so that future generations can come and find their place. So people like Reinhard Bonnke and different people that have been uh, ministers in Africa were eating of the fruit of this man that laid his life down to write maps for it. So long um, views of history uh, have been historic in the the church. Um, Charles Hodge, who Systematic Theology Textbook was the textbook at Princeton, up until very recently, until uh, it got really secular and liberal <laughs> um, there at, at Princeton. Um, and so his he was a post And so just different people like this. Uh, he said in his in his textbook, Nothing, therefore, can be more opposed to the plain teaching of the New Testament than that the kingdom of Christ is yet future and not to be inaugurated until his second coming. This is to confound his consummation with its commencement. It started when he took the throne. But Jesus said the kingdom is like leaven. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. Think about this with me. It started with 12 guys in the Middle East that were super confused about why their Savior just died and left them. And now, Christianity has permeated the globe from 12 faithful men. A seed. Jesus is actually the mustard seed. (laughs) Um, unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die it abideth alone but if it falls and dies it will bear much fruit so Christ planted his body in the grave ascended and the kingdom is going forth Daniel saw it as a as a stone a small stone not hewed with hands that was becoming a mountain that would fill the entire earth this is the kingdom of God Charles Spurgeon, he said, speaking on uh, Psalm 86 in his commentary, he says, David was not a believer in the theory that the world would grow worse and worse and that the age would wind up in general darkness and idolatry. Not so do we expect, but we look for a day when the dwellers in all lands shall learn righteousness, shall trust in the Savior, shall worship him alone, and shall glorify his name. The modern notion has greatly dampened the zeal for the church for missions, and the sooner it is shown to be unscriptural, the better for the cause of God. It neither consorts prophecy, honors God, nor inspires the church with ardor, for hence be it driven. So Charles Spurgeon was very (laughs) adamant about, we need to believe that Christ has taken his throne now, because if you don't believe he's on the throne, you will not have boldness in missions. Because you believe that the church is going to get their teeth kicked in until Jesus comes back. But that is not so. For even the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So even if they kill us, they're still advancing the kingdom of God. Praise God. This gets me fired up, man. Jesus, help me. (laughs) Blast off through the roof. So really, this all hinges on what you believe happened at the ascension of Christ. But truthfully, the the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost was the witness that Christ actually made it to his destination. Because he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another. So he ascended to the right hand of the Father and said, Father, would you give them another? And the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. So when we demonstrate the kingdom through signs, wonders, and miracles that we've been talking about, we're pointing back to the ascension and saying, yes, Christ really did take his throne. Number two, we're, we're releasing the rule and the reign of Christ on earth as we conquer all of his enemies. 1 Corinthians 15, the famous chapter speaking of the resurrection, it says that Christ will return and to deal with the last enemy, which is death itself. So I propose to you today, are we supposed to deal with all the other enemies until the last enemy is ready to be dealt with? So when we heal the sick, we're advancing the kingdom. When we cast out devils, we are advancing the kingdom. We are taking territory for Christ. And he will establish his kingdom because he will receive the reward of his suffering. Psalm 2. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. That is, the father to the son. Jesus did not forget to ask for the nations. He will have the nations. And thirdly, it points to the return of Christ in the future when he will come and he will destroy the last enemy, death and rule on earth with us forever. Praise God. So, Revelation 6, chapter 2, It's it, the Revelation is a really hard book to understand for most because almost the entire book is symbolism from the Old Testament. So if you don't understand the Old Testament, you won't understand the book of Revelation. It's like direct quotes over and over or alluding to pictures and symbols that were given to us in the Old Testament and then brought forward for us to, to see in the revelation. And it's just one, not multiple. <laughs> one revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so this first century implication of this text was that Christ was the leader of the judgment upon Jerusalem. That when Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 of the destruction uh, of the temple, he said, not one stone will be left upon another. Christ was the initiator of that judgment. For the Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, how long I've wanted to gather you as a hen gathered his, her chicks, but you would not come to me. And then Jesus pronounces a judgment on Jerusalem. In 70 AD, you could read it for yourself, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. One of the most horrendous times in human history was poured out on Jerusalem. It was the judgment of God. So Christ, the one who holds the bow and rides the horse, was the leader in the judgment. For those that rejected his lordship, Yahweh had come in the flesh. The Messiah that had been long awaited had come to the the people of Jerusalem, and they did not want him. Uh, Jesus tells the parables of sending the prophets before and you killed the prophets. And then it says, oh, the the king will send his son. And then the son comes and you killed him too. And so this was the destruction of basically the old system so that Christ would come and sit on the throne showing that he was the once and for all sacrifice. At that time in 70 AD is when all the animal sacrifices stopped in Jerusalem, because Christ was the once-for-all sacrifice, the temple was destroyed. the The veil was rent, right? And so Christ was the true Lamb of God. So who is this conquering, crowned, armored, uh, armed rider? Um, he's this one here in, in Revelation chapter six. His horse is white because he is radiant. He is pure that he's not afraid. In the the old times, you did not want to ride a white horse into battle because you were a target. But he's not afraid of being a target. So he rides a white horse into battle. He's sitting and riding because he's enthroned. He has a bow in his hand. This is actually depicting a long bow, which is a war bow, wielded by the best and accurate of archers and the fact that he is on horseback also speaks to the proficiency in which he wields his bow. He will conquer his enemies. And he moves swiftly uh, as on horseback. He's crowned because he said to his disciples, all power, all authority was given to me. Therefore, go. I conquered, so conquer. He's crowned because he's full of power and authority and rulership. And he was given what he was due, which was the crown. He's conquering, which means his current experience of victory. And to conquer means his future experience of victory, an ultimate and absolute victory. It's it's a beautiful thing when you can grasp this. It brings hope to your heart when you see the nations raging and you see the, pop, the peoples plotting in vain against the Lord and against his anointed one, you know that he sits in the heavens and he laughs. Let's read it. Psalm 2. Praise you, Lord. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage? (laughs) This is a genuine question. (laughs) The psalmist is writing this like, what do they think they're doing? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. Set themselves. They're trying to be unmovable. They set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one, saying, let us burst Their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So they're saying, let's make a plan. Let's overthrow the one who sits on the throne. That also tells me that what's being done in the earth today is not passive, that the rulers of the earth know exactly what they're doing. And he who sits in the heavens, he laughs and he holds them in derision because they're plotting. Because even in their seeming triumph over the church, they're not triumphing. Because even when they spill our blood, they're advancing the kingdom. There is nothing that they could do to stop or thwart his power. So he laughs when he sees the nations rage. This should that laugh is, is terrifying. Because I've stood on the other side of that laugh. Have you? Before we knew Christ, we were the ones plotting. And that laugh scatters his enemies. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify him in his fury. As for me, this is the Lord speaking, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree for the Lord said to me, You are my son. This is Jesus speaking. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces as a potter's vessel. So now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Revelation chapter one, Jesus is called the ruler of the kings of the earth. Every nation is supposed to be bowing their knee to the Lordship of Christ in time. And that's why we speak against the atrocities that happen in our government. That's why we are willing to stand up and say, abortion is evil. It is the murder of the innocent. And Jesus said, woe to them that shed innocent blood. It's not because we have a good cause to stand behind. It's not because it's, it's the majority view. It's because Christ has set a standard And we are to go into the nations and disciple them, teaching them to obey everything that he commanded us. If he didn't tell us that it was wrong, we wouldn't stand there. But we stand there because he said it. And he's king. He owns us. He purchased us with his precious blood. So he is Lord. If he does not get to tell you what to do, then he is not your Lord. So we say to the rulers of the kings of the earth, turn and live. Believe the gospel, that your sins, though they be red as crimson, they can be white as wool. He is the conquering king. And everyone will bow their knee, whether in this life or the next. He will have the reward of his suffering. And when Jesus sent us out to disciple the nations, he didn't think we were not going to be able to do it. He commanded us to do it. It would be cruel for us to, him to command us to do something that we couldn't do. So yeah, I just have, <laughs> have a punch written here. This is actually the book that I'm writing right now, Conquering and to Conquer. Daniel chapter 7 is usually used as a, um, as a, a verse that is speaking of the second coming. Um, but I want to show you, if we could put eyes on it, Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. I want to show you that this wasn't, isn't speaking of the second coming, but this is speaking of his ascension. It's really important for you guys to see this in the Word to show that I'm not just coming up with some theory. I think it's really, really, really important that we base everything in our life off of the Scriptures. I preached that last time. We don't just come up with new theories. If you can't find it in here, don't hold to it. (laughs) Consistently. From Genesis to Revelation. Don't just show me one verse and then build a whole theology off of it let it be a theme through the scriptures Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 it says I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the son of man and he came to the ancient of days do you see this he didn't come down on clouds he went up in a cloud Do you remember at the ascension in Acts chapter 1 He was carried away in a cloud out of their sight. And then the two angels came and said, what are you doing standing here looking up? The one who went in the same way he will return. This is depicting the ascension of Christ. He came to the Ancient of Days. Where's the Ancient of Days? Up. (laughs) And he was presented before him. Jesus had to show that his sacrifice was done and present himself to the Father. And to him, at this point, when he presented himself to the Father, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So what we see here is that at the point of which Christ ascended, We see him take his rightful place as throne above all principalities and powers, seated at the right hand of the Father. And there he will sit until his enemies are put under his feet. And he puts his enemies under his feet through his decree and through his church. And we get to partner with the Lord. There's real stuff to be done. There's real work to be done. Because Jesus is worthy. And if this thing is really going to take a while, there's some investment that we need to pour ourselves into. Men that believed a long view of history took generations to build churches because they knew that their great-great-great-great-grandchildren would be worshiping in that building. They were willing to invest in their day, which they would not taste the fruit of for themselves. But they knew that their family and their children's children and the people that would come after would eat from the fruit in which they were willing to labor. And so I want to give you this. It's not in vain that we evangelize. It's not in vain. We are conquering the enemies of Christ. We are bringing people into the kingdom. Do you think that Christ will be outdone? Do you think that when it's all said and done, Jesus is going to (laughs) lose? Do you think he's going to lose right now? No. No. We will continue to conquer. We will continue to move forward because Christ is our king and he rules the nations. This isn't just figurative speech. He rules it all. We have a, a saying in theology, the already and the not yet. But many people say... When they say that, they mean the already, but the not really. (laughs) When we say the already and the not yet, we mean that it's starting small. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Amen? Acts chapter 3 says that he will remain in heaven until the time of the restoration. One... 1 Corinthians says that he will sit there until he comes to deal with the last enemy that's death Psalm chapter 2 said the nations and the ends of the earth are his inheritance Isaiah chapter 9 if you want to turn there Isaiah chapter 9 and I'll try to wrap this up Isaiah chapter 9 I want to show you just two more scriptures I think you might say, well, but I thought thought Satan was the god of this world. He is. They worship him, but he is not supreme. He is their god, but he's not God. Christ rules the nations, not the devil. (laughs) Christ rules the nations, not the devil. Jesus said in Hebrews, or through the the writer of Hebrews, I will shake everything that can be shaken so that the thing that can't be shaken, the kingdom, will remain. So when you see the shakings, 2020, there was a great shaking in the earth. He's shaking out the dross. He's shaking out the impurities so that only the kingdom remains. So even when you see a seeming down slope in history. There's bad stuff that has happened since Jesus died. We're not denying that. But the trend is this. There will be negative things that happen, but the general trend is glory to glory. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I hope this is authoring faith in your heart. This is the Christmas verse. (laughs) For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. His zeal is the thing that's accomplishing this task. If, for whatever reason, we decide we're not going to be a part of this anymore, it's not going to change a thing for the advancement of the kingdom. We have the honor and the privilege of being a part of it. But if we say tomorrow, I don't want to be a part of this, it does nothing to hinder his purposes. Because the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So yes, salvation and judgment will be throughout the kingdom age because Christ will put his enemies under his feet. But Christ will not be outdone. For Abraham was promised that his seed would outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. Through a postmillennial eschatology, I've come to believe that if this is a long view of history, that when it's all said and done and Christ returns, there will be an an extremely, a, there will be extremely more people in heaven than in hell. Exactly. Christ's blood was not shed in vain. If we look through history up until this point, and we see that if we could measure, we can't measure, true conversions. There would be more people in hell than in heaven. But Christ will not be outdone. He will have his people. For right now, we might seemingly be the majority. But one day, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. As hard as the sea this morning tried to be wet will be how hard it will be for those to know God and see his glory on the earth. He's conquering everything. He's conquering everywhere. He's conquering yesterday, today, and forever. Why does he conquer? Because he's worthy and he can't help it. <laughs> but also because the father is worthy. Because when Jesus is done, he's going to give the kingdom to his father. Also because he loves his bride, he conquers. And he will defend her as a husband. He's going to give the kingdom to the father as a gift when he's done. How does he conquer? Through his power and his sovereignty. Through the spirit-empowered church. He conquered everything, past tense, and now he is appropriating that victory in our day and throughout history. He won it, he owns it, and it's rightfully his so that anyone that stands against it is standing against and a rebel to the king. So let me wrap this up. I was having a conversation with someone on on Facebook not that long ago, it was actually about the issue of abortion. And um, he basically told me. I, I, I wrote down the quote. I, I can't find it, but basically he told me, "Man, there's just there's nothing you can do. There, this we're gonna like. It's always gonna be legal, because it's the proof of the progression of society. There's nothing that the church can do." And I said, "Oh, no." <laughs> Yeah, bless your heart. It was a friend from high school. Um, I said, no, no, you're, you're, you're sadly mistaken. Because Christ sits on the throne. And he will rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. He said, I swore, Jesus said, I swore by myself. And the word has gone out from my mouth in righteousness And it will not turn back. That to me, every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. That's Isaiah 45. Psalm 22 says, All the nations of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you, Lord. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. So I said, this is where the world is heading, my friend. And there's nothing that can stop it. So what is happening in our day? Because evil seems to be triumphing. And that's why most people can't hold on to this kind of hope. Because it seems like it's getting worse. But if I asked you, would you rather live in 300 AD or in 2022, you would say 2022 because Christ is conquering his enemies. And wherever Christianity has permeated the culture, you're respectively looking at the first world. And where paganism has triumphed over the decades, you're looking at the third world. But Christianity is the establishment of the, king, the, the, the kingdom of God on earth, and blessing comes to the nation whose God is the Lord. Men would not have traveled from England to the colonies if they didn't have a long view of history. If they thought this thing was going to wrap up in a day, why would they risk their family's life on a boat for months to get across the the ocean? These men, Jonathan Edwards, the first great awakening, right before the Revolutionary War, he was a post-millennialist, believed in the triumph of God in time, and he was willing to plant seeds in the ground that generations would inherit. And we are eating that fruit today. Just this nation's establishment is the fruit of that. Matthew 28, and I'll end right here. Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. If you notice, the word commission is uh, co means with mission. It's the together mission. (laughs) The together with Christ mission. So this is why we, we have the gifts. To extend and move the rule of God. We preach the gospel. We call everyone to bow a knee to Christ. We cast out the demons. We heal the sick and we raise the dead because death is God's enemy too so Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 and Jesus came and said to them all authority all of it in heaven and on earth not just in heaven on earth has been given to me go therefore do you see that we go because he has authority we go therefore and make disciples of all nations not just the people in the nations the actual nations <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and how do we how do we disciple them we teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, that's Jesus speaking and behold I am with you even into the end of the age so I hope that today even if, I, I don't want you to just take my word for it <laughs> search the scriptures and it's okay if you fall in a different category uh, of the, how you think this whole thing is going to wrap up but I would say that there is reason for hope. There is reason for optimism for the future because Christ is King and He will not be outdone. Do you understand this? Even when it seems like all the nations are raging, there's still a remnant and they will not be outdone. Under the most strenuous and intense persecution, China, the church in China is exploding because the harder they press, the louder he laughs. Yeah. <laughs>, <laughs>, <sighs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <sighs> Come on, let's close our eyes. <sighs> the harder they press, the louder he laughs. Come on, come on, let's... Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Though the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain, you sit in the heavens and you laugh. For you set your king on your holy hill, and he will not be moved. Lord, we rally behind the King today. You alone are worthy of worship. You alone are worthy of allegiance. And today we bow our knee to you, King Jesus. Again, we lay our lives down before you. do whatever you want to do through us that you would receive the reward of your suffering. God, I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be left out in this conquering. At the end of my days when I when we all stand before you and our lives are measured when they pass through the fire I don't want to be (laughs) empty-handed. Because I thought that this all was going to end and it wasn't worth it. That you weren't worth it. Jesus, you're worth it. Oh, when our lives are tried by fire in that day, may gold and silver and precious jewels be spilled out before our God because the King is worthy. Lord, stamp eternity on our hearts today. Stamp it on our eyes that when we look around and we see the seeming triumph of evil, that we will hear the laugh of our God. That when we lift our eyes and we're scared of the battle ahead of us, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open up the eyes of this church to see that there are more that are for us than that are against us.